All right, let's get started. Um, today in our AMA, we're going to be covering part four of our tokenomics. Um, just to give the brief rundown. Um, actually, before that, I should say, uh, for those on Twitter, we're also on Discord, and uh, rumor is the audio is better on Discord. So um, if you care about that, that is your other option. And also, if you're on Discord, you can type your questions in the AMA questions channel. So yeah. All right, so part four, um, we talk about three things. First is trading fees um, and how we dynamically adjust the percent of trading fees that uh, liquidity providers receive. So normally it's, it's just like a fixed percent on most DEXs, but we dynamically adjust it. And the second is market making profit which is um, basically this, the same concept as impermanent loss, except on our exchange, um, so like on the standard constant product exchanges like Radium, Orca, Aldrin, etc., and also the Uniswap V3 style exchanges, uh, which there's also a bunch of those now on Solana, um, there's only one possibility from market making, and that is to uh, lose money. Basically, you're buying high and selling low. Um, whereas with uh, Lefinity, it's possible to buy low and sell high. And so you'll actually make a profit from market making. And that's in addition to the trading fees. So we talk about that. And then finally, we uh, describe how we split the revenue. And the TLDR is 50% we distribute directly to VE Lefinity holders. And the other 50% we use for um, buybacks of the Lefinity token. All right, so with that out of the way, let's get to the questions. So first question, we have Ipromino asking, um, or let's see, first they are quoting from the article. So note, an exception to this system is the liquidity provided by Lefinity flares, our NFTs. Their share of trading fees will always remain a fixed 85%, as originally stated in their introductory article. Can you provide an example for this? You can use the same example from part four. So yeah, I give an example in the article um, of what percent trading fees LPs would receive given certain numbers. Um, but so for the fixed 85%, the point is there is only one example because it'll always be 85%. So it's totally um, not dependent on, so I should say, for, for those who haven't read the article, for LPs, the amount of trading fees you get, the percent, is dependent on um, a few things. Uh, the two main ones are how close we are to the target liquidity. Each pool has a target liquidity that we're aiming for. And then how much protocol-owned liquidity there is and how much liquidity provided by LPs there is. And so based on these variables and one other one, um, the percent of trading fees that LPs receive is always shifting. But um, for the liquidity of the Lefinity flares, it'll always be 85%. Um, regardless of how much protocol-owned liquidity you have, how much liquidity LPs provided, what the target liquidity is, like none of that matters. It's always 85%. Um, yeah, so I hope that clears up your question. There's only one example. It's always 
All right, next we have Ghost Rider asks, how do reward tokens get distributed to VE Lefinity holders? Will it be airdropped or claimed on a website similar to claiming Lefinity for the NFT holders? Yeah, so basically the latter. Um, for the same reasons that we switched from an airdrop to a stake and claim model for our NFTs, um, we will have a, I mean, you'll, you won't need the stake. You, you just have to hold your VE Lefinity but um, then the whatever rewards will be credited to your account um, and then you can claim them whenever you want. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we have worked on the interface for this a little bit. So like once we show you like an image of what it'll look like, I'm sure it'll be like easy to visualize. But basically, you know, you have like multiple assets in a column and then next to them, there are claim buttons if you want to claim them individually. Um, and there also be a claim all button so you can claim them all at once. And perhaps um, some other buttons for um, if you wanted to do something with all those assets um, other than just claiming. <laughs> I'll just explain it as that for now. All right, well... <laughs> That is it for the questions. <laughs> I think maybe we are doing too many AMAs. Perhaps an AMA for each part of our tokenomics is too much. I mean, like we have a bunch of questions in our Discord always, and we always answer all those. So maybe when the time, by the time uh, the AMA rolls around, there's just no questions left. <laughs> um, but yeah, in the previous AMAs, They've always gone over an hour, sometimes two hours. So sometimes it just takes time for people to start asking questions, but yeah, maybe not this time. We'll see. Um, if anyone on uh, Twitter wants to ask questions, they can raise their hand and I can bring you on stage. Um, yeah, I'll just wait a few minutes and like, if there are no more questions, <laughs> I guess I will make this the end in an unprecedented move. Oh, sweet. We have um, Dynamics requesting to speak. All right. I think you're on stage now. What's up? I think you're muted in case you're not aware. Uh, give me a second. I, I forgot to turn my Bluetooth earphones off. All right, go ahead. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, the question was in regards to obviously once the Lefinity token is dropped and you start acquiring LP. Um, is is there still going to be emissions like is there still going to be lefinity dropped to the different pools as rewards or are we kind of completely removing the idea of a farm token and it's purely just market making profits and trading fees yeah that's correct so um yeah as we mentioned in part one we're, we're not going to do any type of liquidity mining so liquidity providers won't receive uh rewards 
um, in the form of Lifinity tokens for providing liquidity. As you pointed out, the only um, sources of yield for them will be trading fees and market making profit. Okay, so when we're talking about uh, new new LPs coming in or wanting to provide liquidity, and you're talking about gauge voting and things like that, what is it that they're actually trying, like, for example, bribing, what, what are they actually bribing to get through? Because it's not like they're bribing to have more Lafinity emissions delivered to their pool because there's no Lafinity emissions. So what are they actually voting for? Sure. So um, first of all, in case it's not clear, the, the people bribing are generally going to be protocols. Um, yep. Because uh, so we go into into detail on like the rationale behind why protocols will want to bribe in part three of our tokenomics. But just to um, yeah mention like some of the reasons, I'm not sure if I can recall all of them. But so one is when protocols do this, they are securing liquidity for their token um, permanently. So like, for example, with the curve model, when a protocol bribes, they are directing curve emissions to their pool. So it makes it more attractive for people to provide liquidity for that pool. But that's not permanent liquidity. It's still liquidity mining. So they're still renting liquidity. It's by nature temporary. Um, whereas with us, when you um, bribe and then Lifinity emissions go to their pool, um, that Lifinity will be sold as VE Lifinity in exchange for LP tokens. So basically, people will give that pool their LP tokens in exchange for VE Lifinity. And then those LP tokens stay on our platform. So basically, the protocol is securing permanent liquidity for its pool. Um, so that's like one major advantage over the curve model. It's permanent rather than just renting it. And similarly to curve, um, so like now let's make a comparison with the protocol owned liquidity as a service products. So this is basically like Olympus or, um, there's a few of those protocols on Solana too. Like, uh, there's like Invictus, Socian and Penguin. Um, so with them, the protocol that's looking to acquire the liquidity, one thing is they have to pay the full price of that liquidity. Um, but also they have to um, pay for the discount that the buyer is getting to um, exchange their LP tokens for the protocol's token. Um, but with us, we provide the part of the capital for them to acquire the liquidity. So basically, TLDR is it's it's cheaper if you take our route. So it's kind of a trade-off where if you take our route, the protocol itself doesn't actually own the liquidity because it's on our, our platform, right? Um, but the benefit is that um, they get to acquire it more cheaply. And uh, there's also some like other side benefits. So for example, uh, when we have protocol own liquidity for um, their token, that means that we're going to have trading fees and market making profit denominated in LP tokens of their pool. So that means we're going to be distributing their token as um, the reward token. So now we're in part four, we talked about. 
So we'll be distributing their token to VE Lefinity holders. So it's it's a way to um, increase their holder base. Um, yeah, I, did that answer the question? Yeah, I think so. Um, I guess a downside to that would be, uh, I mean, I'm looking at BTC and ETH pools, for example, and seeing it as a great way to earn residual income, but other, I guess, holders of VE, the Lefinity are going to be earning the rewards tokens in those native tokens. Do you not think that some of these protocols might consider that to be selling pressure? Because instead of being paid in a farm token, they're actually being paid in their native token, which could promote selling pressure. Um, so I think that selling pressure would... Um... Let's see. I'm thinking of so if like this pool was on another protocol, what would happen? Um, I mean, so the way we designed it, we specifically designed it in a way that try, tries to avoid the sell pressure because, um, like, we just give the tokens to the users. Yep. Um, so yes, they could sell, but they could also hold. It could also cause them to buy more. Like, who knows? Um, and what we specifically avoided is, um, like, taking all the tokens, like the ETH, the BTC, the protocols, tokens, whatever, selling them all for USDC, and then giving it to the user. Like, that would be, like, guaranteed sell pressure. But yeah. that's what we avoided. Um I mean, yeah, uh, there's definitely the possibility that like users receive those tokens and then immediately sell them. Yeah, I'm kind of kind of playing devil's advocate here because I, I love the model, but I also see for myself, like if I'm holding a whole heap of VE Lefinity and I'm earning rewards in say BTC and ETH and Sol, like yeah, I probably don't want to sell them. But if I'm earning some basic shit coin that I have no interest in, I'm probably going to sell it because I'm earning it residually. I have no interest in it whatsoever. So, yeah, that's where I feel like some of these lesser-known protocols may possibly be turned off by the idea of Lefinity for the fact that the rewards are going to be given in their native token, which could create sell pressure. Um, so I just, I guess I'm kind of thinking that maybe Lefinity will be more enticing for larger projects with big following and stable pricing possibly yeah so Would that makes sense yeah so two things um one we only have pools for um tokens that have a pith price feed so that uh -huh. naturally kind of excludes the much smaller protocols um, uh, okay like it already has to have a decent amount of liquidity and has to have exposure on centralized exchanges usually for them to have like a price pith feed. So yeah, like we won't have like, you know, the bottom bottom of the barrel shit coins on our exchange. <laughs> um, so that's, that's good. That's one thing. And the other is if protocols are worried about um, this creating dumping, there is an alternative strategy that they can take. And that is to, instead of um, bribing on our protocol, what they can do is they can just use the, um, one of the standard um, protocol on liquidity as a service um, services, they can use one of those, but instead of using LP tokens of say Radium, for example, they can use Lefinity's LP tokens 
um, so that in that way they own the liquidity and therefore like whatever is earned by that liquidity um, the vast majority of it goes to them except for the protocol fee um, and so that way there's much less going to VE Lifinity holders um, so that like they, they won't be able to dump if that's the yeah, thing. Okay. yeah interesting cool thanks for that, man. yeah thanks for the questions all right all right um i think i saw someone oh we have two more people awesome all right aaron morad i brought you on stage how's it going hey great thank you so much for the opportunity to speak so you talked about uh tokens that have a lot of exposure and that actually has a signal from pet network is essentially the ones that um, that can be used on Lifinity, right? So uh, it looks like even MSOL doesn't have the signal, the strong signal that you're looking for. So I'm. So what are your thoughts about how many tokens would actually make the bar to participate in the Lifinity liquidity pool? Yeah, um, so part of the reason why MSOL is weak is because it has, um, like, <laughs> there's the sole USDC counterpart. So basically, like, on centralized exchanges, people have the option to trade um, SOL or MSOL. Um, and, like, it's basically the same thing, except that, like, MSOL has the staking rewards on top of it. But I think people on centralized exchanges um, are often more um, trading oriented. So like, I think fewer people on centralized exchanges are looking to buy an asset and then just hold it for a really long time um, as compared to, compared to people on like decentralized exchanges. And also SOL USDC is just much more liquid than MSOL USDC. And so, the vast majority of centralized exchange volume is going to concentrate on SOL USDC um, to the detriment of MSOL USDC. And uh, I think we discussed this more in our Discord or maybe in our article too. But yeah, so like for these reasons, the MSOL USDC price feed wasn't very useful because the price updates weren't uh, very frequent. Um, but uh, basically, devs have figured out a way to work around that um, TLDR just like peg the or use the sole USDC price um, adjusted for the staking rewards that MSOL receives um, and then just trade MSOL USDC based on that. So basically we, it bypasses the MSOL USDC price feed. Um, so that part at least is figured out. But yeah, back to your question of like, so how many tokens can we really expect to get. Um, it'll definitely increase over time. Um, I I mean, like, I don't, I, I'm not really able to give like a numerical answer to that. But yeah, like it, it'll increase over time, which is the important thing, I think. Um, so yeah, basically over time, we should be able to capture increasingly more volume, um, which is good because um, uh, we'll be increasingly acquiring more liquidity and, uh, yeah, as the, the selection of tokens that we can acquire liquidity for increases, 
um, it'll match that like increase in our liquidity. So um, I think it should work out. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, the MSOL technique is very smart. Um, I was wondering, so what other tokens do you have on, you know, in your queue um, for newer liquidity pools? Sure. So let's see. Right now, I think we're looking at UST pools because they have tended to have high volume recently. Um, so that would be like Sol UST or UST to another stable coin or um, let's see what else was there. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I don't know if you saw our announcement. Actually, it might have been in our article too about stablecoin pools, um, which is something we're testing right now. And then, um, so the plan is like, we're gonna open our pools to the people on our whitelist and also to flare holders soon. And we will likely open like a bunch of pools when we do that. Um, but yeah, I actually haven't asked the devs like which pools exactly. <laughs> so I'm sure they have a better idea. Um, if you want, you can come to our Discord and ask um, again, and I can go ask the devs to see what we have coming up. But yeah. Cool. I also have a, a little bit of a fundamental question, sure. uh, which is, you know, you talk about how you're able to use the, uh, you know, alerts from Bit network to be able to like buy low and uh, sell high. Mm -hmm. uh, where, where are you buying from? Are you buying from like other exchanges? Uh, no. So um, basically, so most of our trading is through Jupiter. And then there's also some trading directly through um, our app. But so basically, it's just retail, um, retail traders trading against our pools. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to understand is how are you using the the price alerts from Pit Network to your advantage? Sure. So the key thing about the Pith price feed is that it updates much faster than other decentralized exchanges. So basically, because we're on Jupyter, that means the the people or the programs rather that we're competing with are other decentralized exchanges. So this is like Radium, Orca, Serum, Aldrin, etc. And so. Uh, yeah, so then, uh, like I said, the Pith price feeds update their prices much more quickly than other decentralized exchanges. This is because uh, right now there's much more volume on centralized exchanges. And so when there's a large trade on a centralized exchange, that will be reflected in our price before it's reflected in the prices on other decentralized exchanges. So basically they're slow to up their, update their prices and that means that their pools get arbitraged. And this is what's causing um, impermanent loss, particularly to the constant product AMMs. Um, so basically we're able to avoid that. Uh, maybe I'll just give like a very simple example. So say like the price of Sol is $100 um, on all exchanges. And then suddenly on a centralized exchange, some whale that's in a huge sell order and the price tanks to $90. 
Now on say like radium or any other constant product AMM, the price is not gonna change because radium doesn't know this information. So basically it'll still um, buy Sol at $100, even though in fact it should be doing so for $90. Um, so then arbitragers come in and like, all right, we're gonna buy Sol on the centralized exchange at $90 then sell it on Radium for $100. Um, and they do it until the price reaches some equilibrium. Um, but with us, uh, we see that the price changed to $90 on the centralized exchange because that's reflected in the PITH price feed. And so um, we were at $100, but the moment it changed on the centralized exchange, it also changed um, on our exchange. And so there is no arbitrage opportunity um, on our exchange. And so we avoid the impermanent loss. And then say like the price returns to, or actually, so say it goes to 90. And then, so we do some buying and selling there. So basically we bought some soul at uh, 90. Um, and we do that because we, re we rebalance our pools to 50-50, um, so we always try to keep the SOL and USDC balance at 50-50. And so because the price of SOL decreased to 90, um, that means we now have more USDC than SOL in, in a like USD value. And so we buy the SOL at 90 so that we return to 50-50 balance. All right, now say the reverse happens, we go back to $100. Um, so then the opposite would happen where we don't do any buying or selling or very little of it on the way from 90 to 100. But then we, when we reach 100, now we have too much soul because we bought it at 90. And so now we sell soul um, at $100. And so the net effect is that we bought soul at $90 and then we sold it at $100. Um, whereas on the constant product AMM, they sold it or rather they bought it all the way from 100 to $90 and then they sold it all the way from 90 to $100. So impermanent loss, zero, no market-making profit. Uh, with us, we have a positive market-making profit from buying low and selling high. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you so much for patiently explaining that to me. Thank you. No problem. Yeah, it's a common question, um, I guess, because this is a pretty new mechanism. So, um, yeah. Uh, any more questions or are you good? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. Sweet. Thanks for asking. All right, we got uh, two more people. The Big Bang, welcome to the stage. Uh, let's see, did I lose you? Oh, I did. <laughs> um, actually, we have some uh, Discord questions. So actually, I'm going to ask those first. Uh, let's see. Okay, Ghostwriter follows up. My guess is instead of claiming rewards, you can use rewards to provide liquidity back. Uh, referring to the secret button I was <laughs> mentioning earlier. <laughs> could be, could be, we'll see. Uh, Ipromino says, sorry, I'm driving at the moment. <laughs> Typing while you're driving, sir. <laughs> uh, my previous question, if the pool has 500k in size, uh, composed of 200k 
of protocol own liquidity and 300k of from VE Lafinity holders. What is the trading fee reward given to the NFT holders? Um, the trading fee reward. I mean, it's 85%. So like whatever liquidity they have, um, which like in this example, you didn't mention how much liquidity they have, but like whether it's 100K or 1 million or whatever, um, they will receive 85% of the trading fees, um, not of the entire pool, but of their liquidity. Um, it's always calculated on a per liquidity basis. So um, let's see. So for example, let's say there's only protocol owned liquidity and the flares liquidity. And the protocol owned liquidity is let's say 20%, and then the Flares' liquidity is 80% of the pool. Then um, if we make uh, 10K in trading fees, that means, first of all, you split it uh, 20, 80, because the protocol on liquidity generated 20% of that, and the Flares' liquidity generated 80% of that. All right, so protocol on liquidity, has 2k and flares flares have 8k but now you take 85% of that 8k and that's what the flares get and the other 15% is retained as a protocol fee and so that will go to the VE Lafinity holders I hope that was clear I promise I was typing now let's see all right, uh, the Big Bang is back. <laughs> uh, let's see if uh, they want to talk. What's up? Hey, you guys can hear me this time? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, got, I think I got rugged out last time. All right, cool, cool man. So I've been following the project uh, now for, uh, I don't know, a couple months, I guess. And, um, uh, you know, first just want to say awesome work. Um, this is really dense material, and I think you guys have done a really good job at uh, kind of breaking it into components um, and then talking us through it. Uh, so, you know, a lot of appreciation for what you guys are doing and trying to build here. Um, uh, my question, or, or it's not really a question, or I guess maybe it's, can you just give us like a simple example of like, let's say, $10,000 trade comes in, right? How does that money come in through Lafinity's market? How does it interact with the pool? And then, you know, of that $10,000, how is that broken out, you know, to be Lafinity holders? Sure. Uh, I will try to do this. So, first of all, let's say the trade comes in through... Jupiter. So um, I'm not a dev, but as I understand it, on Jupiter, every exchange um, through their API, they tell you, okay, if you want to buy Sol USDC, then this is the price we're offering for the um, the amount that the user uh, input into the interface. So like, say they're buying 10 Sol, um, and then Jupiter will choose or show at the top the the decks that's offering the best price. So say that's Lafinity, 
And so then that trade is routed to us. Um, then, um, so one thing we haven't revealed the mathematical details of how we like do the precise calculation of like what price we offer. Um, that will be revealed in our white paper and we will release our white paper before our IDO. So relatively soon. Um, but yeah, I probably wouldn't be good to really talk about it in like audio format anyways. But yeah, so we offer the price and then we get a 10K trade. And then our um, fee is 0.04%. So let's see. So that's what? $4? Um, yeah, so we make $4 in fees. And then um, let's see. So then the question is, of our liquidity uh, that was used to pro to provide that trade, um, I guess three questions, or like there's, yeah, three parts. Uh, how much of it was protocol-owned liquidity? How much of it was liquidity provided by external liquidity providers? Then how much was of it was liquidity provided by layers? Uh, which is our NFTs. Um, and then uh, the fee will, first of all, be um, split up proportionally. So this is actually just going back to like the example I just mentioned in response to Ipromino's question. Um, but yeah, first you split it up according to like whatever percent of the pool that um, the, each of those elements um, has. And then um, you further split it up according to, um, it depends on each one. So for protocol-owned liquidity, because the protocol owns it, it just takes whatever portion of the trading fee it gets and retains it all as a protocol fee. For the um, external LPs, um, we described in part four the details of how we calculate what percentage of the trading fee that belongs to them they will actually receive, and the remainder will be a protocol fee. Um, so basically, it's a, we have a, a thing called a target liquidity, which is the, um, the level of liquidity for a given pool that maximizes um, the trading fees per LP token. Because if you have too much liquidity, it kind of dilutes um, the liquidity providers or like the trading fees that they can generate. So we're aiming for this target liquidity. And so the closer we are to the target liquidity, the less of the trading fee that LPs will get. This is to um, incentivize liquidity providers the further we are away from the target liquidity when we really would like to have much more liquidity. But as we approach it, we're less in need. So we don't incentivize them as much. But yeah, we have the equation that um, tells you how much or what percent that'll be. So you can check that, check that out in the article. And then finally, there's the flare holders and they just get the fixed 85% of the trading fees. And then the remaining 15% is uh, retained as a protocol fee. Um, yeah, that's about it. Is, is that, uh, I hope that example um, answered your question. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's good to just be able to visualize, you know, and I understand you guys want to keep some of the math, um, you know, under wraps for now, which I guess that's kind of like what some of us are missing is in, in you know, the model. But, um, I mean, it's it, it sounds great. You know, I'm a huge believer in what you guys are doing. So thanks for uh, thanks for walking me through that. Yeah, no problem. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people wanting to um, know the the details of how the pricing algorithm works, understandably. But yeah, um, yeah, it'll definitely be out before the idea, so stay tuned for that. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I've been explaining this, you know, and trying to draw an analogy to some other people as we're looking into different D5 products and protocols. And the way that I, I feel like what you guys are building seems to be like a snowball going downhill, right? Like you're seeding it with a couple million dollars in capital. And as long as the utility is there and people use it, there's sort of, I mean, it's sort of an inevitable math engine, right? Like rolling down a hill, gaining momentum. Yeah, I like that analogy. Um, I mean... I wouldn't say inevitable. Like there's always, you know, certain risks, like there's smart contract risk or like there's risk that another protocol um, copies us or even better, like innovates on what we do. Um, so like, you know, nothing is ever inevitable in the blockchain space really. But but yeah, like uh, the, course, yeah, the, the yeah. snowball analogy is kind of apt, I think. Um, yeah, we start with... Um, or like our aim is to start with mostly liquidity provided by liquidity providers, but then gradually shift that over to protocol owned liquidity to make ourselves mm -hmm. self-sufficient. Yep. So, yeah. Right. And then you guys, as long as the model works, like you're able to basically create pools, like you can go horizontally, right? To like Bitcoin or basically like any kind of a staking protocol or pool that you guys would, that would be interesting, right, or profitable, I guess. Is you, that the idea? Are you talking about cross-chain? Yeah, like it scales horizontally, like cross-chain, or do you... Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so that's a difficult question. So um, the main reason, I think, is the Oracle. So on Solana, because the block times are so fast, like less, oh. than, less than half a second, so that means the price updates happen... Like every, um, I think it's 400 milliseconds. 400 milliseconds, right. Yeah, but like say we were on Bitcoin, so block times are 10 minutes. Well, price can change quite a lot in five minutes. So that means if we're using yeah. a price update from 10 minutes ago, then we can easily get front run. <laughs> so Yeah, but I mean, exchanges, I guess, do that. But I mean, I guess they're just... It's not with real custodianship though of the actual coin, and they're just gonna eat the. If they get, if they lose a little bit, then they lose a little bit. But I guess they make it up for it in the trading fees, anyways. Um, inter interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. The time time interval. That's a huge problem for them. Um, cool, man. All right. Well, you know, I can't believe there's only a handful of people in here. I'm blown away. Uh, what you guys are doing is amazing. So. <laughs> uh, I I got my seventh. I changed my PFP. Uh, 
uh, in the Discord, man. Uh, I, I, I got uh, lucky number seven, Solana Kings. So I uh, can't wait to see what you guys do, man. Cheers. Nice. Appreciate it. Thanks for the questions and uh, thanks for hopping on. Yeah. All right, guys. Have a good night. You too. See ya. All right. Uh, next, we have Fired. Our, our, uh, he's, he's been hopping on every, every opportunity. How's it going, dude? Thanks, man. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me. Thanks for accepting my invitation. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the man, like, I just, just thinking this, about this project, like, last time. Like, uh, the, I saw your, your partnership with the, um, Jupiter. So, what is your relationship exactly? Can you please explain that? Sure. Um, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's it's just like, um, uh, can you, mm, or actually, never mind. Yeah, so it's pretty straightforward. Um, it's just like any other exchange. Basically, we're just integrated with them. So um, uh, it means when somebody trades through Jupiter, Jupiter looks at our pool in addition to all these other pools of other protocols to find the best price. And then it just gives the user uh, whichever exchange is giving them the best price. That's, that's... There, is, there is nothing special, yeah? Just same as the others? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then, then this question is going to come out. So the, like, okay, the whatever you do in the like mechanism, if uh, in the future, is Jupiter going to do the same thing like then you know they can eliminate our system from their swap you know so then you know so it's kind of risk i reckon what do you think about it uh not really because um that would be to their disadvantage um because then they can't say we're offering users the best price if they're excluding like an exchange that like right now we often provide the best price and so if they exclude us it's like you know, what are you doing, Jupiter? <laughs> um, people um, will then have to cross-check between our exchange and Jupiter and then just, like, make it inconvenient for them to find the best price. No, no, no. right now they are in the They are just two platform, but I'm just saying if they're going to provide the, like, own pool and then if they're going to start, like, you know, using their pool, and, you know, it's kind of like there's a competition. This. That's my opinion. I mean, yeah, they certainly could like create their own exchange. Um, but like from my perspective, I don't know why they would do that. Because like one, that's a huge, huge undertaking, right? And two, they already have an exchange, which is Mercurial. Um, I don't know if you know, the two projects are connected, same team leading them. So they yeah, do I know. Yeah, so they have a stable swap protocol. Um so like in a sense that already is competition, you could say. But like as Jupiter, like I don't think they're ever gonna privilege Mercurial over other exchanges, because that would just like destroy their reputation, right? <laughs> it's like if you're if they're choosing their own exchange over others, even if it has a worse price, like everyone would complain about that. So Yeah, you're right. Like you know, the there is always like there are many different exchanges they also can provide the, whatever we are doing like similar things so 
but as you said from the last uh, last conversation, I just remember you are saying we have some purpose for per day, like let's say 500 soul piece. If we got it, then you know. So this kind of things. If you have a own like target per day to get some fees, I reckon it shouldn't be like that big risk for the like lifting to pool. I reckon that's my opinion. So that's why it is like kind of safe for me. I just I just want to confirm the Jupiter thing with you. That's all. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the Jupiter team is great. Um, I don't know what else to say. When are you gonna finish the all the parts, bro? Like we just we just really wanna see the like token economics, bro. I mean, we've been releasing them like every four days or whatever. Which I mean that's a pretty good pace, I think. Like if we did one one per day, for example, I think fewer people would read them. And uh, I mean because like they take time to digest, and that's why we're doing these AMAs too. Um so I mean just take your time, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited, man. I just wanted to explain this project to my community, my friends. You know, I'm still investing in this project, but I just, you know, when they ask me some questions, I can't give them the answer. So, you know, I just wanted to be clear, and then, you know, we can do the own AMA for uh, our community. So then, you know, we can take from there. Right now, we just kind of no question marks are going over there. So that's why. Sure. I mean, like, I think we've explained the majority of our tokenomics. The The only main thing that's left is, like, the token allocation and how we're going to do the IDO, which will be part six. But, like, other than that, like, if you want to know, like, how our protocol works, um, like, most of it is out, or at least the tokenomics. And then, like, the white paper will show, like, the details of how the DEX works. But like even how the decks works, like we already explained like the big picture view. It's only like if you want to know the precise mathematical details that we haven't released that yet. Just uh, like how many percent of the lifting to token is going to be for the staking holders, like uh, NFT holders? What's the percentage of that? It's 1%. 1%, yeah? Okay. Mm -hmm. So what is the resting schedule for that? Like how many years? Uh, one year. One year. So, okay. After one year, what's going to happen? So you're going to do the buyback from the market? Um, so for the flares, like uh, the distribution of the Lefinity token, like isn't the main thing. The main thing is that we took no profit from the sale of the NFTs and the soul that we raised from the sale all went to our liquidity pools and is earning trading fees for the NFTs. And also the royalties, 100% goes to the holders. So basically 50% for the buyback and then the other 50% reinvested into the liquidity pools so that it can earn trading fees at an accelerating rate. So that part never changes, um, even after the one year. It'll just keep doing its buyback thing forever. Buyback is going to be happen with the uh, Lafinity token as well, or just for the NFTs? I mean, there's a buyback token. I mean, a buyback mechanism for the Lafinity token, um, which we explained in part four. But that's um, totally separate from the buyback mechanism of the flares.
okay, if they are going to decide, if they are going to say like, okay, we want to get to this buyback for the Lifting token, like let's say we're gonna change this percentage of the buyback to Lifting token. So is there any possibility to change the system, or you just gonna you just gonna stick whatever you have? So can you repeat the question? I didn't catch it. So like if is the people like whoever the holder of the NFTs and the Lifting tokens, so they're gonna if they're gonna say we wanna get this buyback mechanism more percentage for the like uh lifting to token so is there any possibility to change that or just going to whatever you guys decide is gonna um so for the flares no the the thing that flares govern are the bot back flares but not the buyback mechanism so that's basically set in stone for the um, Lifinity token buyback mechanism, um, that is more open to change, but I mean, I think likely won't change um, like soon after we launch the token. Um, yeah, we'd like to run it for a while um, before like, uh, yeah, o opening it up for like change. Yeah, like, is I'm just thinking like this is the long term investment for me. I'm not like a buying and selling it. I'm just gonna keep that. So I reckon it's it for future like there's a good opportunity to have this affinity uh, fifties. So that's that's my opinion. But I just you know I just wanted to clarify everything before you know doing the like heavy invest in this project. So that's why I'm asking. Yep. Um, yep. Always do your own research, right? That's how we do it. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, sorry. Were you going to say something? If other friends not going to ask, like, I just want to ask a different one question. So, uh, the I'm like, you know, this kind of right now, I'm working on different projects. We are just working on the like white map and roadmap at the moment. And is there any possibility you guys can cooperate with different system as a Lifinity token? Like, is there an open gate for that? Sure. Um, I mean, depends like what you mean exactly, but uh, we're always open to partnerships. So. Okay, we are working on the roadmap and then. Uh, white paper as well once we finish that maybe we can we can schedule the meeting with you guys then we can take from there cool cool man thanks man uh just asked all my questions i'm clear thanks for having me no problem all right um aaron morad uh, i think you asked again to uh, yeah. yeah what's up so this is a follow-up question to a previous question about cross-chain I understand that uh, there are also synthetic assets uh, such as wormhole BTC and uh, wormhole ETH and a lot of other things, I believe. So, would it be possible for you to do the same thing that you're doing for Sol USDC for the synthetic assets? Yeah, 100%. Um, we certainly plan to create pools for like ETH USDC, BTC USDC, etc. So yeah, there's there's no reason we can't do that.
And I was also wondering, how big is the engineering team? Right now we have two core developers and then a few um, like part-time developers. Um, we are going to expand the team after the IDEO. But yeah, that's that's where we are right now. Got it. Thank you very much. That's all I have right now. Cool, man. Thanks again. All right. Um, Ipromino has some follow-up questions. So let's see. They say, so a pool may have three types of liquidity sources. A, protocol-owned liquidity. B, NFT holders. And C, VE Lifinity holders. Is this correct? Um, so actually, no. Um, VE Lifinity holders are not liquidity sources. They just hold VE Lifinity tokens. Um, and VE Lifinity holders receive the the um, the protocol fees, the revenue that the protocol generates. Um, so the three liquidity sources are protocol-owned liquidity, NFT holders, and external LPs. So those are LPs like like um so like like any other decks like on radium for example you can deposit your liquidity and receive lp tokens right so just the same as that we're going to have that too where you can deposit your liquidity and get lp tokens and then in addition to that there's the protocol owned liquidity which the protocol owns and the nft holders which are like a special class of liquidity provider because they get the fixed 85 percent trading fees all right, then you follow up. If so, then what will be the process for NFT holders to provide such liquidity? Because earlier I assumed that the revenue you have from NFT sales is the liquidity from NFT holders. Yes, it is. So there is no process really. Um, basically the team optimizes that liquidity for them. Um, so we will add just like where, like in which pools that liquidity is provided. Um, but yeah, nothing that the NFT holders need to do. Just sit back and enjoy the trading fees. <laughs> um, and then above you asked my next question, will Lifinity have a stable pool similar to Sabre? If yes, then will Lifinity be a part of the current Sabre slash Sunny War for liquidity? Um, so yes, we are testing stable pools. <clears throat> We mentioned a while ago that um, there were some difficulties. So like um, we have a rebalancing mechanism. We explained this in our introductory article. So basically we always try to keep the pool at a 50-50 balance between the two assets. And um, unfortunately, because the price feed for stable assets barely changes which is kind of the point of stable pools right it's like you have two assets that are that have the equivalent value and so the price feed barely updates and because our rebalancing mechanism is dependent on like changes in the price feed uh it was difficult for the stable pools to rebalance. And so we needed to make some changes to the mechanism to make this work more effectively. Um, yeah, so that's something we're testing right now. 
hopefully we can release those soon. And then um, will we be part of the Saber Sunny Wars? So no. So the reason for wanting to be part of the Saber Sunny Wars is if you want a liquid pool for your asset. So for example, I'll just use UXD as an example. So UXD has their UXD stablecoin and uh, they want it to be highly liquid, their UXD USDC pair, because um, it makes their token or yeah, their stablecoin much more useful. And so they are participating in the Sabre Wars. Um, and what they get from that is basically they're trying to acquire a bunch of Sabre and Sunny. And when they do, they lock it for five years, get VE Sabre, VE Sunny, and then they can vote for their UXD, um, yeah, UXD USDC pool so that Sabre and Sunny emissions go to their pool. When that happens, the APY for providing liquidity to their pool goes up. And so people will want to deposit liquidity into that pool. And so the, the end result is that their pool becomes more liquid because more people provide liquidity to it um, because they're chasing after those Sabre and Sunny uh, rewards. So that's the point of participating in the Sabre Wars. Now, are we trying to make one of our like tokens liquid? Well, not really. Um, and in particular, especially not like a stable pool asset, which is like what Sabre specializes in. Um, like if there's any asset that we want to provide liquidity for, it's the Lefinity token, right? Um, but we're going to bootstrap liquidity for that, for our Lefinity token through the funds raised through the IDO. Um, so like, it'll be similar to what Soland did, if you're familiar. They like raise a bunch in the IDO and then they took a portion of that and just pair it with um, Solon tokens from their treasury. And so like from the very start, they have a big liquidity pool. And what's great about that is you don't need to do any liquidity mining and dilute your holders. Um, it's like the protocol owns that liquidity and uh, doesn't need to incentivize it. So yeah, so we'll have that pool, a Lifinity USDC pool on our app, and uh, we will own the liquidity for that. So no need to try to incentivize it. And even if we wanted to incentivize it, we couldn't on Saber because um, it's not a stable pool. So yeah. All right. Ipromino says, I'm sure you're familiar with Crema. They also have um, concentrated liquidity market maker for stables. From the end user perspective, will Lefinity's stable pools be similar to Crema's current stable pools? Um, from an end user perspective, yeah, I don't think it will. So the thing is, Crema is similar to Uniswap v3. And one of its defining features is that you can choose the range in which you want to provide liquidity. So for like USDC, USDT, for example, you can say, okay, I want to provide liquidity from 0 0.999 to 1.001, for example. Um, so like a very tight range. 
But you can also say, I want to provide liquidity from 0.95 to 1.05, which is a lot looser range. Um, and there's, it's like a trade-off. Um, the tighter your range, the more fees you can capture, but also the greater risk of impermanent loss. Um, or like with these stable coins, um, basically the risk is like you end up with just one of the assets. If the price goes outside of your range, you're left with just one of the assets. And because it's outside your range, you're not earning trading fees anymore. Um, whereas if it's wider, there's less chance of it going outside your range. But when it is inside your range, you're, you're not earning as much trading fees as you would with a tighter range. So th that's how Uniswap V3 works. Um, so basically it's up to the user to decide how much they want to concentrate their position. With Lifinity, the main difference is that um, users will not be able to choose um, the range in which they want to provide liquidity. And this is, from my perspective at least, a benefit because um, for retail users especially, like it's super non-obvious how, how to choose a range. And um, there's been studies done on Uniswap V3 liquidity providers. Um, and it's um, <laughs> the vast majority of users lose money and among those who do make money, there's no clear group of users who do make money. So TLDR, there's no obvious strategy for making money on Uniswap V3. Um, stable assets might be an exception because um, what's tough about Uniswap V3 is the impermanent loss. But if you're in a stable pool, the risk of that is like, minimized a lot. So for example, even if you experience quote impermanent loss on USDC, USDT, so say like you do a really tight range and then you end up with only USDC, even though you started with 50% USDC, 50% USDT, if it all just becomes USDC, well, it's not a huge deal. Assuming like both assets still hold their peg basically. Um, then uh, it's like you didn't really lose the way you would have lost if like you experience impermanent loss on sole USDC because when you have an impermanent loss on that um, like the two assets were never pegged to begin with so if you end up with just one of the assets you're probably experiencing a high percentage of impermanent loss um, so yeah, I think Crema and other Uniswap V3 style protocols can make sense for um, stable pools. But then also, um, there, there's no like obvious reason why it's better than um, the curve style stable swaps. So that'd be with Saber and Mercurial. Um, to me, it seems like it's just a race to the bottom in terms of trading fees and also a race to the top in terms of concentration. Because like, uh, so yeah, with trading fees, it's obvious. The lower your trading fee, the, low, the less you earn as a protocol, 
but <clears throat> the the more volume you're able to capture because trading on you is cheaper. Um, so if like one exchange lowers their fees, then others are incentivized to follow just so they can keep up with getting a portion of the, vo the volume. And then with concentration, that's basically like how much you're willing to bet that the peg is going to hold. Um, the more concentrated you are, um, when the peg, when, when it does become unpegged, or in the event that it does, the more screwed you are. <laughs> um, but yeah, while it is pegged, the more concentrated you are, the more volume you'll be able to capture. Um, also, the more imbalanced your pools can become. So, yeah, there's like a bunch of trade-offs there. Um, but like, to me at least, it seems like none have a clear advantage. And to me, it's also not clear like how beneficial it'll be to have a Oracle for stable assets. Because um, like, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but because the the relative prices between stable assets barely changes. Um, so the Oracle is like not that useful. Or like a different way to think about it is for stable swaps and concentrated liquidity market makers, it's as if they have an Oracle. And that is the assumption that the two assets are equivalent in value. Um, so I mean, like their Oracle isn't dynamic, it's just an assumption but it works pretty great, right? <laughs> like it only doesn't work when there's a DPEG and then they're screwed. But um, yeah, so, but yeah, the having an Oracle is huge for volatile assets for non-stable pairs. Um, I think that's where Lifinity shines most um, because we're able to um, not just reduce, but more often reverse impermanent loss and make a profit from market making. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see how we fare in the the stable asset um, sphere. Yeah, devs still adjusting the algorithm for that. So we'll see how that goes. That was a long explanation. <laughs> uh, let's see. All right, well, that is the end of the questions. And um, I don't see anyone raising their hand on Twitter. So I might call if it. There's no question. I just want to ask one more question before you go. Sure. Um, is there any target for initial market cap or IDO? Um, all the information about the IDO will be released in part six. So just stay tuned, my man. Okay, bro. So what, what was the percentage of the uh, IDO? Yeah, like I said, all the information <laughs> will be revealed <laughs> in part six. So just stay tuned. Uh, okay, bro. Maybe I'll just wait a few more minutes to see if anyone has any questions.
and otherwise call it a day. Thanks, bro. Thanks for having us. Thanks for answering the questions. We really appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the questions. All right, it appears that the people are satisfied. So yeah, I'm going to call it. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, part five of our tokenomics will be released soon. Um, and probably we will be opening up our pools um, to the whitelisted people and flare holders soon. Um, yeah, I guess that's about it. So yeah, thanks once again, and uh, stay tuned for our next part of our tokenomics and the next AMA. Till next time. Cheers, guys.